This is The Universe, Episode 2, Competition, We're Afraid Of, on Wednesday, February 15th, 2012. And now, with more Snickers. How's it going? Pretty good, how are you doing? I'm um, pretty well. Could use a nap, though. Same here, didn't get much sleep. Yeah, it's uh, midterms coming up. Right, this whole college thing. Yeah, it's getting ridiculous. Wasn't prepared for all this work. <laughs> yep. So we had you on the uh, the big show. On what day was that? Was that even Friday? Yeah, I think that was Friday. Uh, yeah, well, yeah. late Friday. Saturday. Saturday. Depends on who you ask. Right. Well, that was a pretty good show. Yeah, it was uh, It was fun. Talked about some interesting, interesting tech news. Yeah. Well, since that show, um, during that show, you didn't have a mic. Or you had a mic, but you didn't... You didn't have a way to hold it without making absurd amounts of noise, like, mm-hmm. like, uh, like maybe like this, like the whole show, just like that. So uh, since then, I have gone out and purchased a little something to help with that, and uh, it's a little um, tripod mic stand for the desk, and it just just sits there and looks nice, and now you don't have to hold your mic. Oh, excellent. I'll look forward to using that next time I guest on the show. Yeah, so that that's a new feature of the studio. But of course, we still have all the cords wrapping around, so you'll probably hit that next. <laughs> you'll figure out a way to do it. There's there's always improvements to be made. Right. To be broken. Mm-hmm. So what have you been doing uh, this week in astrophysics and quantum mechanics? Um... Well, since this is Wednesday, I have only had one of one class of each of those, or like one day of each of those classes. So, not too much new on that front. Um, still talking about the. Well, I guess maybe from last time we talked, this is new. Talking about the Heisenberg uncertainty principle and like the wavelengths of different kind, like matter objects and things like that. Um, so, sounds interesting. Yeah, I think we briefly covered wavelengths of uh, big objects uh, when I took physics a few years ago. Yeah, it is kind of interesting that all things have a wavelength. Right, and uh, if you could make a like a slit small enough, you could observe diffraction of them, like throw baseballs and baseball diffraction. You know, that, that would be probably be pretty dangerous and probably <laughs> pretty weird too. You know, you throw a cat at a sled, and then it, you see two of them, and then, they, and then you get spikes in your eyes. <laughs> yeah, the dangers of science. And, well, you know, cats have been abused historically, you know, in boxes full of radiation and poison. Right. Yeah, yeah. so, I mean, it's not like it's anything new to them. They're just our test animals. Mm-hmm, yeah. I, I am currently working on uh, moments and centroids. Mm, yes. Yes, it is not my favorite thing to work on, especially when the integral evaluates to zero unexpectedly. Oh, I have no idea. <laughs> but I, but I, I actually prefer this to the physics variation of uh, this topic, which is torque. I don't really like torque because it really makes no sense. Because there's well, the thing that I hate most in physics. You know what that is? What vectors. Oh, well, you know yeah, why? Because I mean, of two distinct numbers that should not be together. Well, you, you, you know, you know, in, in in programming, but, primitives have one value. You cannot have two, just one. What? 
there's there's vector objects. That's cheating. That's not a primitive then. I, it's true. You could have a well, yeah. Yeah. No. I'm just not. I I just don't like. I I I want some enlightened person or maybe an alien or two to come down and fix this problem for me because there's got to be some some method of destroying all vectors and just having a single number be the answer. But then how do you represent like three-dimensional things? Ask an alien. <laughs> and that, that's why oh, yeah. I, I get, one. Good. Well, you know, it could be we could be getting closer to that, but we'll we'll find out. So in the uh news um you know, because we, we like to talk about news, you know, the big show talks about news, but, you know, we can talk about news here, too. You've heard of Wolfram Alpha. Yes, I have. It's you know, I'm, one I'm, of my favorite websites. Yeah, I know, I love it, too, and, you know, I'm, I'm actually using it right now to compute my integrals, because I don't actually want to. And, uh, well, what they did is they um, launched a new service called Wolfram Alpha Pro, and it's actually kind of nice. Uh, it lets you um, upload, like, a uh, Text files, expel, uh, spreadsheets, uh, images for analysis. Um, for students, though, I don't think it's going to be too useful uh, with those tools. But the better uh, extended keyboard to match their um, iPad and iPhone and Android apps that'll be a really handy thing. So you can actually enter math notation professionally. Mm-hmm. What do you Definitely. think? What do you think about that? Uh, I'm I'm pretty excited for it. I I think that the Extended keyboard will be of the most use to me in the near future because it's got good. It's got whatever constants you would need. It's got the infinity symbol. It's got uh, like limit uh, symbols and things like that. And one of the things that I've been typing into Wolfram Alpha a lot lately is the term solar masses or earth masses or solar luminosity, things like that. Yeah. And with the new extended keyboard, they have symbols for, they have the earth symbol and the sun symbol, so it'll save me about 15 characters per entry per time I need to type that in. So save me some time, make my input look better, because I always try and make it look nice, but it's hard to do when you have exponents and stuff right, like that. Right, of course. And I'm, I have I've experienced this too with um, my physics classes. I, I like to put in the units too, but it gets really messy, so having right. symbol sort would be pretty helpful. Do you um, think the price tag of $3 per month will uh, be worth it for students? Um, I don't know. I mean, maybe, but probably not for students because I, I think some like the image and data analysis... That seems kind of wasted on students, I think. Right. It's yeah. it's somewhat more specialized, I guess, than mm-hmm. you would need as a student. Maybe maybe a grad student for some data analysis, things like that. Um, but but you know, if you're a grad student, why aren't you just using Mathematica from your department anyway? Right. Well, I mean, yeah, the data analysis tools on Alpha have some different capabilities than Mathematica does. But I, but I, uh, but I, I think I uh, would like as a grad student who's working in the science field. I feel like I would have way more skill with Mathematica than I would with Wolfram Alpha. Yeah, but you can do different things. I mean, it's like the data analysis on Alpha on or on Wolfram Alpha Pro lets you uh, like take data from spreadsheets and sort of do some Excel type things with it. Versus in Mathematica, you don't really have 
that same capability. I, so, I, are you sure? Because I think Mathematica derives all its function. Or, or Wolfram Alpha derives all functionality, except the natural language parsing and stuff, from Mathematica. Like all of that analysis, all the math stuff comes from Mathematica. Yeah, all the all the math is like pretty much the same. Because um, I know I know Mathematica does have interaction tools you can do. Yeah, that's that's true. Uh, there's a. Um, I don't know. Mathematica has a lot of functions, but the I guess like the good versions of Mathematica that would probably have that sort of functionality cost quite a bit more, and I don't think that all departments necessarily have like the specific like business data analysis functions because there's okay, different. There's yeah. like a hundred mm-hmm. different distributions of Mathematica that each have sort of different specialized uses, mm-hmm. and so I guess I, I was I would think that maybe this. Pro would give you sort of some minor access to some of those that you wouldn't otherwise have. Right. Um, but, uh, I mean, $3 a month isn't bad. So what is that, like uh, $36 a year? So, yeah, um, you know, you, do you um, do you have a subscription to LastPass at all or something? Uh, no, I don't. What is that, like a dollar a month or so, something? So it's, um, yeah, I think it must be a dollar a month because I, I get it for... Well, it's, I don't even think they have a monthly subscription. It's just like twelve dollars per year, oh, and then yeah. and then for each year after that, I think it's just you know like a dollar less, or you know they have some kind of deal like some kind of break in it. But you know, yeah. I think um, it's almost like it's free then at that point. Like it's a dollar a month, but it's so low for such a good function. You know, mm-hmm. LastPass. Uh, you know, it does all the password stuff, uh, and you're paying for essentially using it on your phone. It's for uh, the premium allows you to do mobile stuff. But the right. LastPass model is priced so aggressively that it seems like you're not really paying at pretty, all, at all um, right. for a lot of uh, features, and you're supporting a company you really like. And right. Yeah, I've been I've been thinking about purchasing that. So I do use LastPass. I don't like I I think uh, a lot of these businesses um, that are aimed or like Wolfram Alpha. I, I I imagine since they're saying it's for students that it's aimed at students, but it doesn't seem like I don't I don't know too many people who aren't in science and engineering already who would want to spend thirty six dollars a year on essentially a web calculator. I mean, I, it's hard to pitch that. Yeah, well, I mean, I think that since you can use, you still have all the like calculator functionality and stuff of Wolfram Alpha without having to pay. That that's the thing that's used most, mm-hmm. and now. As of now, but these new features, I think, might start to catch on. I haven't, I haven't uh, started using Pro yet. Um, you don't want to waste it, huh? Trial. Right. You get a you get a free two week trial the first time you sign up. So one of these days, I will start that, and uh, maybe we'll do another segment on the show once I've actually had a chance to use. Well, and it's and of course it's uh, brand new. You know, it's only been out a week, right. and I'm sure they'll be adding features over time. And presumably, what a lot of companies do is they uh, roll out new features to pro members first, and then slowly filter that down to the free model. Mm-hmm. So yep. we could um, probably see new features too. And uh, one of the things I did is I signed up to their beta program. Unfortunately, they didn't need me, but uh, hopefully, I'll get in one day. Yeah. But I but I think uh, Wolfram's doing a, a good job at doing something new. So. So one of the things I discovered today, actually, was that Wolfram, um, since they launched Pro, you used to be able to copy text, like the plain text version of numbers and equations and stuff. 
Well, now if you want to copy those, you have to make an account. Now, the account is free, but it's just another step so that they can keep track of you and that you might be convinced to get the pro account so that you can get more features. Yeah. So I just thought that was kind of interesting, that they're taking copy and paste away, or copy and paste for the masses away. Yeah, I mean, the the account is free. Right, yeah. So... As a side note to uh, that, did you know that on the iPhone, Siri um, is using 25%, I think, of Wolfram's uh, queries? So uh, Wolfram is getting hit a lot by Siri. So people are making yeah. good use of uh, Wolfram, even if they don't even know it. Right. Yeah. So just looking here at, I just went on and typed in X squared plus 9 into Wolfram Alpha just to sort of see what it looked like, um, since I haven't looked at it much since Pro came out. Um, and they have uh, this new Enable Interactivity button, uh, which I think is cool for graphs and stuff, being able to move the viewing window and things yep. like that, which you couldn't do interactively before. You would have to change your input parameters. Right. I think that's pretty cool. Um, and this is a, a feature that you don't need Pro to use. You just need an account. Um, oh, really? Yeah, and then it, also, when you click on it, though, it says "Start Free Pro Trial." Oh, okay. Just kidding. <laughs> okay. The C, okay, CDF. Yeah, right. Yeah. So that is also a function that, or functionality that Mathematica does have. The C, like making CDFs. The right, and and so I think Mathematica is um for for people who need big big the big guns. This uh would be kind of minuscule and almost troublesome to use, but. For normal people like us who don't want to invest $200 in Mathematica or don't have the time to learn it, this would probably work fine. Right. And another thing that I see on the on the sidebar of the webpage is uh, what looks like an iPhone taking a picture of a sheet of homework and then analyzing that image and converting the writing into text for a query. So you could take a picture of, say, uh, a homework sheet that your professor gives you to take home and have it solve it right off of the page instead of... That's pretty uh, That's pretty handy, actually. Which, yes, that's the... I think that's the input pro feature. Okay, yeah. So, so, do you know what that, I do you know what see, I see? On my... On, on When I did a X squared plus 9, do you know what I see on the sidebar? What? I see a cat asking, can I have straight A's? <laughs> yeah, they have some silly little... Ridiculous. ...things, yeah. Yeah, well... I think uh, we'll be seeing more of Wolfram Alpha soon. Yep. All the time. Probably oh. in the next 30 seconds. <laughs> I I uh I did I logged in now. I logged out to see what the what the things you needed an account for were mm-hmm. and I logged in another sidebar refreshed and says it'll make finding tan- tangents secant nature. Oh, <laughs> that's so bad. Uh terrible puns. Oh, that's that's so good actually in, you know, in the long run. I Right. I don't know. Um, I like I like the, the the little history thing. That's pretty handy. So when I yeah. a lot of the times I, I would that. open like twenty Wolfram tabs so that I wouldn't lose my partial equation. But yep. now this can help me with that. Yeah, definitely. Um, very very useful. And they have some preferences. You can pick. Uh, you can now define your location. You can pick your home country, your time zone, your preferred unit oh. system. That's pretty handy. So instead of doing all your um, homework in pounds, you can now do it in metric. Well, I did it in metric anyways. Yeah, I know, but exactly. Use his feet. Anyways, 
Um, yeah, so Wolfram Alpha, looking good. I like, I like it. Pro. Might end up getting it now that I see some of the features. Um, yeah. Well, you know, you know what might not it might not exist, you know, soon because a huge solar flare might be hurtling toward Earth right now, coming to fry <laughs> a server or a few million. Right. So I heard that um, there's increasing solar activity, and um, I know there's this um, 11 year on and off cycle for this kind of thing, but I don't know too much about it beyond that. What do you What do you know about that? Um, yeah, well, so there is a, a sort of cycle of solar activity where the, it hits peaks at around every 11 years, I think, like you said. Um, so the peak is in, the peak of this cycle is in, I think, in the next, in 2012. Oh, um, well, how convenient. So, right. So there was already a large solar storm, um, which created some pretty amazing borealis, both in the north, well, let's see, I guess, aurora borealis, the north, um, and it was one of the most impressive uh, borealis that's been seen in quite a while, so that was sort of interesting. It was from a, a large uh, solar flare that people had, uh, that the astronomers had observed, and were actually sort of worried that it was going to have a large effect on uh, our some of our satellites, but it ended up not not damaging them right as badly as we expected. Well, that's good. I mm-hmm. I um I I remember reading about this, and we were talking at the time how that we knew a huge solar flare was hurtling toward Earth. Um, but of course, these things aren't moving at the speed of light; they're par- charged particles that are moving significantly slower. So it does take right. a while for uh, yeah. the clouds of uh, destruction to get to us. Mm-hmm. But it, it is pretty interesting. So uh, what? when um, when does this uh, peak start waning back down? So sometime after this year? Um, I would assume so. Okay. I mean, if the, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I would... Uh, so do you know what um, causes, this, causes this 11-year cycle kind of thing? Oh, uh, nope. I do not. Um... I would say that the, uh, I don't know, probably something to do with the sort of the internal composition of the sun and okay. uh, the sheer action of like a rotating core and corona hmm. at different speeds or something like that. Uh, Wikipedia says uh, that it's powered by a hydromagnetic dynamo process. Well. Whatever that means. I think that is the next generation of intel processors but um i wonder what this does to the uh, uh helio sheath uh, do you know anything about the helio sheath it's the um you know how like the earth has the magnetosphere that protects us right. from the radiation well the solar system has one too and it's the helio sheath that protects us from the cosmic radiation well i, right. I wonder how this 11 year cycle will what could affect that i you know it doesn't m- matter because this close to the sun where it's plenty strong but you know out in the middle of nowhere um, on the edges like uh where voyager 1 or 2 is i wonder how it fares when the sun is exploding like that right well so the helio sheath is where the solar wind which is this flow of charged particles outward from the sun um, starts to be pushed up and sort of like crumpled together. So it's like the the outside of an expanding ball 
Um, I'd have to say, the, the illustrations of it look pretty darn cool. Yeah, definitely. I've seen some of those animations. Um, and uh, so this is where the, the cosmic, the charge, or the particles, cosmic rays from the rest of the universe are uh, hitting our outward flow of uh, charged particles. And there's sort of an equilibrium reached at the, this boundary called the helio sheet. Or the, well, the edge is the heliopause, I guess, is the boundary. And the helio sheath is just sort of the, the whole thing. Right. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I guess I would assume that maybe there's some variation in the radius, I guess, or like how far it extends. I mean, right now it extends past well, the... Wasn't it like 93, 93 million astronomical units? I yeah. remember I remember reading about it and it was it was it seemed ironic to me that the number you know like 93 million um miles is an astronomical unit and then the helio sheath just happens to be 93 million astronomical units yeah sure it is <laughs> I I don't remember what uh what that was but. Yeah right so for any listeners who are wondering what that unit is an astronomical unit is the distance from or the average distance from the earth to the sun so if it's 93 million times as far away from the sun as the Earth, that's pretty darn far. Right. I don't know if that number is accurate. Maybe it's 90... I, I don't know. I don't. Maybe it's not millions. Maybe it's thousands, but I don't know. Yeah. Uh, well... Good luck that's... finding that one. In the meantime, I think I will do some integration. All right. No, it's not okay. <laughs> Useful from... That's a good idea. <laughs> I, I was uh, attempting to use my TI-89. Have you ever used an 89? Uh, I have used other people's. I never got one, though. No. Well, what I hear is that they're nice if you know how to use them, but if you're yeah. accustomed to the 83 or 84, you right. are essentially lost. Yeah. Yeah, I, I did notice that. Like, the, everything pretty much is different as far as navigating and inputting functions and things like that. Yeah, uh, everything that I used to know how to do really well is no longer valid. Like um, like a lot of the matrix stuff I used to do, like system, solving system of equations, I used to be able to do that instantaneously with two matrices, but now I have no clue because in the, uh, this 89, it's essentially just gone. Like It's hidden somewhere. Mm-hmm. So it's too bad. So the only reason I need a, you, uh, my uh, my little TI is incapable is that I need to integrate um, this function with square roots as its boundaries, and that's uh, painful. Yeah. Okay. So looking at the uh, image of the heliosphere, we've got this nice little image, which I will post in the show notes. Okay. Sounds um, good. From Wikimedia. <laughs> and there is the Earth at one astronomical unit. Uh, Saturn is at about 10, just for a sense of scale. The termination shock of the heliosphere, which is where the flow of charged particles stops being uh, in a constant direction away from the sun. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's where it, they start to stop and move in random directions, uh, is at about... 100 astronomical units. And then the heliopause is where there's sort of like a neutral balance of uh, charged particles moving towards and away from the sun. Uh, Starts just after that. I think 
the the thickness of each layer of the term. There's the termination shock, the heliopause, and then the bow shock um, is about one million kilometers. And there's so, and those are all at around 100 astronomical units. Is that is that really how small the solar system is? Yeah. Wow, I thought it was a lot bigger than that. Yeah. Well, um, I don't know what I was reading, but it wasn't right. You know, it must have been Wikipedia. <laughs> I don't know. So, well, this is on Wikipedia, too. So, Well, there you go. Right. You just never this know. This is, uh... Oh, just kidding. This is from NASA. Okay, so, that's that's uh, probably more likely to be right. Right. I would I would hope so. Um, <laughs> well, right. I hear their funding is um, kind of uh, down the tube, actually. So oh, yeah. maybe their mathematicians aren't being paid as much as they used to, and they just cut a few zeros. <laughs> yeah, it's saving for I guess. Yeah, well, um, and they're diverting those um, zero savings to uh, looking for space taxis. And yeah. um, you know, so we talked about last week about returning to the moon and talking about if the moon, going back to the moon, would be a good idea. Well, we don't have a sp- uh, what do you call it a shuttle system anymore since we decided that those were a bad idea. So now we're looking for third parties to take us up to space in a taxi. And, you know, uh, I, I hear that it's a lot of work, and uh, I guess as a nation we don't want to spend our own money to do it, so we'll pay somebody else to do it with uh, a 25% markup. Right. Um, so this has been sort of part of an ongoing, uh, an ongoing sort of... Uh, political argument that we should let the private industry do space exploration. I'm not against um, it per se, but it just seems like, you know, if we're going to spend our own money, why don't we just, if we're going to spend that money to, you know, buy that technology from them or to license it from them or to use it, why don't we just do it ourselves and then just give it away? Right. Well, I mean, yeah, the the thing is that private industry doesn't really have a, the muscle necessary to undertake the projects that, like, that a lot of uh, advocates for space exploration think that we need to. Uh, for example, the, like, the Apollo missions, the first moon landings, could not have been done by the private industry. Like, that was uh, the they reason could, that got done. Could, was they could have been done by the private industry had there been a gold mine on Moose. On, uh, yes, Moose. No, on Mars. No, on the moon. Yeah, that's what I mean. <laughs> Uh, I'm mesmerized yeah, well, by the spinning Wolfram loading circle thing. I, right. Wow. It's, oh, it's captivating. Yeah. Um, oh, I also just quick on that. I also noticed that Wolfram seems to take longer to load now. Oh, doesn't it? Oh man, it is terrible. Did you know there is a cool trick? You know where the www dot blah 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 is? If yeah. you change that to a number, or so www three, you can right. um you can switch servers that are just as slow. Right. Yeah. So no big benefit there how many are there are there um you know i've only ever gone up to three but um let's try 30 watch it load oh crap it um well it did load but it redirected to regular looks like there's only three hmm it's reasonable you know you don't you don't need that many load balancing servers right okay so back to nasa and uh, our their the current situation um hmm the yeah so that's uh one of the one of the consequences of some major budget cutting that's been happening with NASA um, in the past four years, I think, three or four years. Um, yeah. Well, I guess it's been about three 
as of now. Um, and uh, yeah, so I I think that the what what should happen and what sort of needs to happen if we're going to see any progress in manned space exploration soon is that the government needs to step in again on a scale of what they did with Apollo. And, um, and, I just don't see and I feel, industry... And I feel happen. like we need an enemy to do it. Or, or not an enemy, but right. another country like to USSR. look... Right, yeah. And I, I know a guy up the road who... Um, <laughs> would support the return of that. But um, I think we need another group of people, another country, you know, like that, or a conglomerate, conglomerate uh, or something that would propel us or encourage us to actually do something for once. Right. We need competition that we're afraid of. Right. So, well, I mean... That was pretty that, good. That's how... Like, right, that's probably how... That's what would make it happen. Um, but I just don't see private industry having the will and the power to do it right now. Yeah, absolutely. There's not, there's not enough benefit for them to be doing that based on what it costs. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah. So, I mean, I mean NASA is uh, having other serious issues with funding. Um, in other sort of departments, their... Um, well, their mathematician department has a loss of zeros. <laughs> um right so well so their their um funding for or the proposed budget for 2013 uh that Obama just released mm -hmm. um gives NASA a um i think no net increase in funding uh not even like to keep up with inflation uh, which well, that sounds like the rest of the government then. That might be. They might have gotten a cut in total funding, um, and uh, so they're having to make pretty uh, pretty influential decisions on what programs they're going to keep sponsoring. Yeah. And one of them that looks like it's going to get cut is a collaboration between uh, the European Space Agency (ESA) mm -hmm. and NASA. It's called the ExoMars program. And it was supposed to launch um, a couple rovers and a couple orbiters to Mars um, to do science. Yes, uh, I, I agree to do science. Some of them were astrobiology related, so looking for signs of life, if there ever have has been, could be life on Mars. That, mm -hmm. that thing. Um, and NASA is going to have to pull out of that agreement. There's not enough money. Um, that's, that's really unfortunate. Right. One, one of the things I'd like to see, if, if if we ever did have money again, which is unlikely, I'd I'd like to see another Voyager style uh, probe mission, in the in the terms that you know it goes off, takes a picture of a planet for a few minutes, and then goes it flies out of the uh, solar system. I think right. it, I think it's um like I think we have a grasp of what our solar system is like now, but I'm very curious as to know what it's like on the outside. Yeah, and, and uh, Voyager is is pretty amazing in that way because nobody really expected this right. to happen. And, you know, that was just cobbled together together in a, somebody's basement with some, like, tin foil, And it just happened to work for, what, 45 years? Yeah, and it's still going. Yeah, I so, know. It's, it's incredible. I mean, I, I can barely get my um, pencil to work for, like, 10 minutes. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, another, another, another uh, deep space satellite, like, mission like that would be very interesting. I yeah. Think. 
I'd um, like I'd like to send it perpendicular to the uh, solar system. Right. So that, I think that would be really cool to once it got far enough away. There's there's a famous picture um, of that Voyager. Oh, I think it was two Voyager two took after it passed um, Saturn and was looking back at all the planets that it had passed so far. So this would be, uh, I mean, all the inner planets. Right. And then my knowledge of the solar system is failing me. There's like (laughs) Mercury, Venus, uh, Earth, Mars, Jupiter, and then Saturn. Um, So looking back at all of those planets, and they're sort of like... So you're you're almost like looking back at them in a line. I mean, obviously they weren't in alignment at this time. That would have been quite an amazing coincidence. But just looking back, and the picture actually contained Earth as a little blue speck of dust Mm -hmm. um, that was uh, viewed through what looked like a sunbeam. There's a famous quote by Carl Sagan about that. Um, And uh, I don't remember what it is off the top of my head, uh, but it's very inspiring. And so it would definitely be amazing to get a view of our solar system perpendicular to the orbital plane because it's really hasn't ever been done before right and you know most people think of the solar system as being completely and perfectly flat and it it kind of is but really isn't there are things that float around out there and it'd be interesting to see the depth and then it gives you a real a real appreciation for the 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 side the the hundred astronomical units because you can't tell the the distance because if you're just looking straight down you know you just see how small something is not how far apart it is relative to other things right so yes i mean if you were to get far enough away to have uh, like say uh, like a wide field camera take a picture of uh, all the planets at once yep it would be you would have a picture that's like something on the order of uh, 50 astronomical units from edge to edge or something like that and um, i know I, and, and when that happens i'll have some really great album art <laughs> right nice high resolution yeah uh, and but i mean you might for probably wouldn't even be able to see the planets or yeah, no, you, you probably small, would. tiny, reflective specks of dust. And I think what that does it that reflect be, from? Like they would only reflect from one side, wouldn't they? The su- yeah, the sun. I mean, yeah. So the, like, right. it's not like the tops are going to be reflective. Well, the half of them. Though. Okay, half of them. But so I, I just think that that would really help put in perspective, sort of uh, the size. I don't know where we are. When, yeah, when absolutely. People think about like. The solar system in the universe, it's like we're in a line and... Yeah, we're just floating around and everything is, you know, really far away. And things are far away, but they're closer than, you know, they're closer than I even thought, actually. Because if there are a hundred astronomical units uh, for our radius, then, well, we're we're pretty well done here. Um, But, you know, speaking of where we are, um, you uh, also found this really nice picture of the... um, I don't know what what would you call it. It's like a, a galaxy that looks uh, pretty similar to the uh, Milky Way, which just happens to be our galaxy. Right. It's uh, it's been called the Milky Way's twin because mm. it, the spiral structure, spiral arm structure, is believed to be almost identical to the Milky Way. Um, it's got the same sort of semi symmetrical spiral structure with the galactic core also in the middle. also the milky way's twin would be snickers oh uh, very funny <laughs> um 
Right, so we'll call this the Snickers Galaxy. Okay, perfect. Um, the Snickers Galaxy has uh, is uh, one of the only spiral galaxies that we can get a good picture of because it's facing perpendicular. The like the plane that it's in is perpendicular to us, okay. so we can yeah. see the whole thing. We don't get an edge-on view like we do when looking at the Milky Way. Right, because we're obviously, I mean. Voyager just hit the edge of our solar system, so we're obviously quite a ways away from being able to get a picture of our own galaxy. Mm-hmm. And so for a while, this is as close as we're going to get. But it's kind of amazing because of how similar that gal- the Snickers galaxy is to the Milky Way galaxy. Just got a few extra peanuts. Right. And, you know, and you know when, you, <laughs> when you look at um, the uh, picture of this, it, it's not, obviously, it, it's, uh, you know, a rendition. It's not a real picture. But when you look at the illustration, I guess you could call it, it, it says that the galaxy that we're in is a hundred thousand light years wide. So the diameter is a hundred thousand light years. Do you, how big is our uh, solar system in terms of light years? The Milky Way, or no, our solar system. Oh, our solar system in light years. Mm-hmm. Um, well, let's see. So you have a radius of, we'll say. The hundred AU to the edge of heliosheath, and you get um, approximately one one thousand one. Oh my 1, gosh, that's ridiculous! Of a light year. Oh, that's terrible. Thirteen point eight light hours. Uh, <laughs> okay, then. Billion miles across, or ten billion miles in radius, so twenty billion across. So, if if you in in those terms, the galaxy that we're in is pretty big. And, oh yeah, and so we're we're not even like in the middle of an arm, we're in the plane between two arm bands that are swirling around the center, galactic center, and we're halfway in, from the you know the center to the edge, so we're halfway along the radius of our uh, galaxy. So we're about fifty thousand light years from the galactic center and fifty thousand away from being in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's a perfect spot. It's great right. for expansion. I can <laughs> yeah. just think of the marketing opportunities. <laughs> I remember I played this game Spore. Uh, you would start in one arm of the galaxy and have to work your way to the galactic core. So see how long it takes us to get there. And, you know, when I heard about that game, I always thought that was a really cool feature. But then I found out that you had to uh, sell your soul to EA in order to play, and I said no. Right. It's Did you know that was the not- worst reviewed game on amazon really yeah so when it came out nobody um nobody liked the restrictive derm the digital rights management ea put on it so everybody even if they didn't buy it you know they write about it and they didn't buy it and then they wrote on amazon that this is the worst game ever and they gave it one star reviews there was like a two thousand one star reviews yeah that was i don't think that was a very good decision on the part of ea yeah. i mean the the game was by will wright um, who I think was the creator of The Sims. Yeah, I think so, yeah. And, uh, it, I mean, in, uh, like, at game conferences and things like that, and E3, it was, like, got a ton of attention because it just was so new and looked amazing mm-hmm. uh, and creative and well done. And then uh, the final product didn't quite live up to the hype as far as, like, the actual game. And then on top of that, EA decided to be terrible people and do stupid things with it, and it just didn't turn out well. Um, yeah, it's, it's unfortunate, because it would have been nice to see a game that brought you all the way from Amoeba to 
Galactic Rulers, so that's pretty cool. Yeah. Didn't they come out with another game? Like, it was modeled after Spore, but it was all, like, evil and dark. I don't... Yeah, it's, um... I I played a little bit of it. What was that called? Uh, it was similar to Spore, um, because it it was, um, made by... Was it made by the same people or not? I I mean, it looks almost... Like, the way the creatures in the game look, it's almost identical, but I just don't know what it was called or... Right. Where it came from, but it looked interesting. Dark Spore. Oh well, no wonder now that makes a lot of sense. Dark Spore. Right. Yeah, it was, I, I played a little bit of that. That was pretty cool. Um, but so quickly back to the the picture of the, the Snickers Galaxy, which <laughs> just for uh, everyone listening is actually called the NGC one zero seven three Galaxy. Hmm. The pictures, um, or links will be in the show notes. Um, the picture. Um, in the, or the picture shown in like at the top of the two links is the actual telescope image of that galaxy. Mm-hmm. And the, like you just said a second ago, there's an artist mock-up of the Milky Way on the io9 link on that blog um, that has a, a uh, depiction of where the sun is in relation to the center of the galaxy, which is what we were just talking about. And it's kind of cool to see how close that is to the actual picture of the, the Snickers galaxy. Yeah. It, it, it's interesting too, that it, uh, you know, I wonder if our galaxy really has as many bands as that artist rendition, because this, uh, the Snickers galaxy seems to only have two main central bands and then a few loose ones. So that is, that is pretty interesting. Yeah. So do, um, we, do we know how far away this particular galaxy is from us? Because, uh, yes, we do. This galaxy, I think, is uh, 55 million light years away. Hmm. Don't they have a dozen unit for that, like parsecs or something? Um, yes, they do. Yeah. Uh, because uh, one unit of measure just isn't good enough. Right. Well, there's like three different units uh, of measure, that, that, like astronomical a... unit, light year, and parsec. That, that's, only, that's only 3.26 light years. That's not big enough. So I, I googled parsecs, so I got the first entry is parsecs, you know, the, the unit that I wanted to know about. You know what the second link was? What? Millennium Falcon. Weird. Yeah, well, I don't... I don't it's I, probably some quote in Star Wars about how fast there, how many parsecs it can travel. Oh, Whatever. apparently Solo in A New Hope brags that the Falcon made the Kessel Run in less than 12 parsecs. Right, um, which I think is funny because parsecs is a unit of distance. Which is funny that and- you say that because it goes on to say, as this is a unit of distance, not time, there have been different explanations. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Yeah. So, anyways, 55... Uh, uh, let's see, 55 million light years is approximately um, 1.6 million parsecs. 1.6 megaparsecs. Yeah, I think we'll get there in a couple of more. Uh, hmm, never. Right. <laughs> kind of cool. Though. Maybe it maybe it's a, a twin to Earth, right? Exactly in our spot in that galaxy. And you know, and you know, they're probably saying the same thing right now. And the guy who's there making a podcast is wondering, how can I market to that other guy? <laughs> and then they yeah. both include so, at the same time. Doesn't matter because we only have forty-eight <laughs> viewers anyway. <laughs> uh, don't worry. And okay. you know, they're all from you. Oh, that's not true. I know that. Oh, okay, fine. All thirty-six of them are from you. I got the other twelve. Well, that's okay. well, Wolfram will become a sponsor soon, so it's okay. Well, that would be cool. I don't know. I've said Wolfram enough times today. Get the uh, ad on the front page. Yeah. Get all the hits from Siri. Mm-hmm. 
Sounds like it's good to me. Um, all right. So let's see. What are we? Let's see. What what's next here? Uh, hmm. Uh, I've got a page on. You know. You know. There's this this guy who's running for president. You know him. Um, uh, Newt Newt Gingrich. You know him. Yeah. You know. I, I might have heard of him. You know. I don't really know what he did before he thought he should run for president. I guess. Um, but I did hear a funny joke. Let's hear it. So so Newt is short for Newton. Right? Yeah. Well, apparently Mitt, you know, as in Mitt Romney, is short for right. Mitten. <laughs> that, that's that's the political joke of the day. That's all I know. Uh, well, hmm. So, what do you think about returning to the moon in reality? Um, uh, as I know you said that we should do something, but uh, do you think Newt Gingrich should have this as part of his uh, political campaign? Because um, that's kind of ridiculous. Well, I think that it's great. I think that he should do that if he gets elected president. Not that I think he should get elected president because <laughs> he's kind of crazy, but if he does, I like how you I really put that disclaimer that with this idea because uh, I think that it will provide. I, I mean, a, a big reason is that it gets the human race into space, uh, doing manned exploration again after such a long absence, um, and. We'll be able to sort of use that as a, a test platform and stepping stone to get further away, like to Mars. I seems, absolutely agree. That makes perfect sense. Um, and another, uh, like a big part of that would be using that sort of as an intermediary base where you would like launch expeditions from the moon where you obviously have less gravity to deal with. So you can uh, leave orbit easier, takes less, less energy once you get the fuel to the moon right um and speaking of fuel on the moon there is a abundant supply of h e3 on the mm. moon you, you have to mention what h e3 again is because uh, nobody actually knows what that is so h e3 is an oh, hold on my mic cord is getting tangled here um h e3 is an isotope of helium hmm. that is uh, found not very commonly on Earth, um, but it is uh, one of the main fuels that is being explored uh, in pursuit of nuclear fusion. Okay. Uh, so, for those of you who don't know, nuclear reactors today are generally fission reactors, where there's an ongoing fission reaction of uh, atoms splitting and releasing energy uh which is generally powered by, like, uranium and other radioactive elements, um, which is uh, pretty efficient, but produces uh, radioactive uh, byproducts and things like, and requires radioactive fuel, things like that. Um, and so nuclear fusion is a, a sort of a reverse process where um, multiple mole- or multiple atoms are fuse together and release energy um, from that fusion and also, I mean, like, also creating byproducts, but not radioactive. Right. And much more, they release a lot more energy. So one of the things I know, like, um, I don't know if there, I'm pretty sure there has been um, some type of satellite that was powered by some kind of, like, uh, ion drive, presumably with this kind of radioactive kind of thing. Do you know what that was? Oh, like, um, I'm thinking it was like um, 
the thing that brought Cassini to uh, Saturn. Um, but I don't know. And um, so what, what I thought was that these kind of radioactive, uh, you know, uh, powered satellite device that devices is that they can go for a long time, but they're relatively slow. Yeah. So is that how they work? Um, well, so the whole nuclear fusion thing is not necessarily a propulsion source. It's like it would it would be used in the same capacity as our nuclear fission reactors today, just as a source of energy. Okay. Um, on the note of use in unmanned space exploration, there have been uh, like satellites, like the Voyager satellites, actually used. Um, or I guess space probes, they're not exactly satellites anymore, uh, used nuclear generators to power a lot of their things. But again, these were fission reactors, which, and so, yeah, this nuclear fusion requires a, a lot of energy to get going and requires specific fuel, mm-hmm. which, like we said, that HE3 on the moon. Um, and so it's, it's hard to start, but once it gets going, it's outputs a tremendous amount of energy, which I suppose could be used in um, propulsion for uh, the, I don't know, whatever space-bearing craft. Um, And on the note of those ion thrusters, um, there have been a couple missions launched already that have used it, uh, one of which is the Deep Space One craft, um, which... I can't remember what that mission did, uh, but one that I do remember was Dawn, um, which goes to uh, an asteroid. I think it's going to orbit an asteroid and take some detailed pictures of the surface, and then to the planet Ceres, mm-hmm. which is, uh, yeah, dwarf, I guess a dwarf planet. Yeah. Like Pluto. Um, like Pluto. That, huh. <laughs> uh and that, that ion thruster technology is based on some different principles than the, the nuclear fusion. Okay. Because I, I always, I, I remember reading about uh, that ion, ion propulsion, and one of the problems with it was that, in general, it could last for just about ever, but it was just, in in theory, just pretty slow. Like Right. The acceleration didn't... is really slow. Yeah. It takes a while to get up to speed. But it's that's one of the reasons, like you said, that it can... Um, it takes a long time to run out of fuel. Mm-hmm. Uh, is one of the reasons it's been considered as a target for development towards eventual interplanetary or interstellar travel because it, right, it has a, a very large fuel supply that can fit on right small small area. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, moon energy is there. You can get some helium three uh, and. Uh, if you want a bunch of other uh, reasons to go there, you can check out the source or the show notes. Uh, what about winning a presidency? Is that a good reason? Um, honestly, I don't think it's going to help him win. I don't. I don't. I'm pretty sure it's not. The yeah. I mean, like he said it in Florida, which makes sense. You know, there's the, yeah. The that that doesn't. That makes perfect sense. Cape Canaveral. Yeah. Uh, so probably a political move. Maybe not a good one. Um, I feel like a lot of people, we talked about this on the past couple shows, that a lot of people are not very supportive of spending money in space exploration right now mm-hmm. um, because of the economic crisis here. 
so yeah, probably not the best. Right. And we'll see if he wins the primary. Uh, yeah. I, from what I hear, he's doing pretty poorly. But right. Well, yeah. yeah. I guess his space his space dreams aren't going to work too well for him. Yeah, I just wish our uh, current president was a little bit more. Oh well, you know so, how it is. Yep. It's an election year. Maybe he'll come back to it next year. Maybe. I don't. Um. Yeah. Right. All right. Hmm. So. So I uh, I see here that there's some uh, programming thing that seems pretty interesting. It's uh, or not not necessarily programming, but logic in general. Uh, you know, I'm in discrete mathematics, the class you were in last semester. And this hasn't come up yet, but this is probably one of those discrete mathematics problems. And that is P versus NP. Now, I can't describe how this works, but but I'm sure you can because you actually know what you're talking about. So, well, uh, not not completely, but I think I can help describe it. Well, you explain. can summarize Wikipedia. <laughs> right. So, <laughs> what I learned from reading, reading Wikipedia... Oh, that it, infamous source. Uh, right. Um, so the, this is one of, uh, some brief background, um, this is one of the, uh, millennium problems, or the so-called millennium problems, mm-hmm. uh, which are, like, seven problems proposed by, or posed by, uh, some mathematics, uh, institute, uh, which the solvers, the People who find a solution to them um, will receive a million dollars. There's a million dollar prize. Sounds good. Um, you should get right on that. Already, uh, there's six left. P versus NP is one of them. Hmm. So, the P versus NP problem is uh, more of a, a question. There's a, um, it's is P equal to NP? And so, to understand this, you obviously need to know what P and NP are. So, um, P means that uh, it stands for polynomial time, and what that means is that uh, a machine or an algorithm that runs in polynomial time uh, satisfies or is is a P class algorithm, um, and NP is uh, also stands sort of for polynomial time, except the N is uh, I don't know what N stands for, but I think it was NP, like non-polynomial time. Well, it it is polynomial time. It just it's like a a different thing. Okay, so P the P problems are oh, uh, non-deterministic polynomial uh, something. Right. Okay. So the non-deterministic part uh, means that you're not finding a solution to the uh to the problem so i guess this goes back to you have a you have a question of you have a problem and you want to solve the problem with a computer mm-hmm. come up with an algorithm to solve the problem and if this algorithm runs in polynomial time it's that problem is a p problem it fits in that category um if there is an algorithm that can solve the problem in polynomial time. And if there is a, a solution that you have and you want to check if it is a correct solution to a given problem, uh, to and you come up with an algorithm to check that solution, 
if that algorithm runs in polynomial time, then uh, the problem is NP, which means that it can be checked in polynomial time. Um, so the P versus NP problem, or the question, is are all the problems which can be solved in polynomial time also all the problems for which solutions can be checked in polynomial time? Okay, that makes, seems to make sense. So we know, we, we have a pretty good idea of, uh, or we know that any so any problem for which a solution can be come up with in polynomial time can also be checked in polynomial time. And so we know that P, all the problems in the P set are also in the NP set, but we just don't know if there are problems outside of P that are also in NP. So we need, so the question is, are there problems that cannot be solved in polynomial time, but can be checked in polynomial time? And mm. nobody's come up with something to either prove or disprove that as of now. Um, yeah. So, uh, sort of like a sub topic of this is problems that are NP complete. Uh, and that's a subset of NP problems. Um, which if you can be, if they can be verified in polynomial time, then you can be, or you can use that to, um, what is the word I'm looking for? To like, to solve other NP problems. I don't know. Okay, wait, let me try to explain that again. So, oh, I don't know. Is yeah, I, I don't know either because I'm I'm reading about the the uh, NP complete, and it is qu- pretty um pretty beyond me. Uh, sort so, of like saying if a problem is NP complete, then using somehow like using that uh, you can find a solution to any other NP problem. So uh, yeah, that's what it says here. So you uh, have a decision problem called C, and you. Uh, can say it is NP-complete NP if C is in NP and every problem in NP is reducible to C in polynomial time. And, right. uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so if, if C is... And so if anything is reducible to C in polynomial time and then C is in NP, that means it can be checked in polynomial time. And so you have polynomial time and polynomial time, which makes them all polynomial time. Mm-hmm. Have like yeah, and so the one of the big questions is whether these NP complete problems have solutions that can be come up with in polynomial time. They can be checked in polynomial time, but the question is, do they have solutions that can be checked in or solutions? Yeah, I just said the same thing. Uh, they have solutions that can be checked in polynomial time, but can they be solved in polynomial time? And if that's, if NP complete is also in P, then it would seem more likely that P does equal NP. It's interesting yeah. to me that, so like you're saying you have a, you have some kind of algorithm that can do something in some type of polynomial time, so that makes sense. But then you have another algorithm check if that solution was correct. Is that how it works? Um, well, they're not related. So say you have, a problem, uh, like some some math problem, mm-hmm. and you need to solve for x. Okay. So you have an algorithm that solves for x, and if that algorithm runs in polynomial time, 
it would be called it would be in the set p right and then you have a possibly completely different problem like this is this is the they don't have to be related so say you have another problem and you're solving for x and you have a solution and you want to see if that is a correct solution okay and you have an algorithm that checks that if that algorithm runs in polynomial time the checking algorithm then it's an np then it's in the set np so it does it's not necessarily that you get an answer with a solution algorithm and then check that answer with a checking algorithm mm-hmm. you just they're just like two things separate but i mean like you obviously could check the answer that you get in with the solution algorithm i suppose but yeah that's it's it's a weird kind of a uh, thing that i don't think most uh, computer scientists actually end up thinking about yeah probably not it's a uh, it's i mean it is apparently pretty important i'm not yeah. sure why i don't uh, understand how that how I mean, that apparently um they uh, they give you some examples uh, of NP complete problems, and um, those things can be apparently drastically uh, I don't know improved if this all were true. Then people could f- uh, potentially find the algorithm that makes it work. Right. So these NP complete problems, where they have checking algorithms are most of the problems where they don't have solution algorithms. Mm-hmm. And so if we do find out that NP-complete is in all those uh, problems with polynomial checking algorithms, also have polynomial solving algorithms, then we know to look for them. Because right now, it's super hard to find those solution algorithms. And so it would be sort of a waste of time to look for them if they don't exist right and so the problem right now is proving whether they exist or not mm-hmm. and so yeah I, I um now that you say that i'm looking i googled the list of np complete problems and there's like the some ones that i've seen before there's like the traveling salesman yeah yeah that's uh, the one i've heard about hamiltonian path and so there's a uh, yeah so there's probably some interesting um, interesting real-life consequences that could arise if this is solved, um, especially in fields that rely heavily on mathematics, like you know all the important ones, like right? <laughs> and that'll make calculating all of the NASA uh, math a lot easier. So everything will be cheaper, and then we can go to the moon, right? Of course. So I mean, it's all related. Mm-hmm. That makes that makes perfect sense. <laughs> well, I was a. Uh, Quite a show. Yeah. You, know, you want to wrap it up? Uh, sure. So do you know what uh, we are potentially doing on Saturday? Uh, why, yes. I believe there is some sort of annual physics day on Saturday. Yeah. So um, this all started, what now, three years ago. And um, uh, I was in IB physics. And for some abs- absurd reason, I thought it would be cool to do... Um, an experiment um, for my physics class that I had to do on my own, at home, on my own time. I thought it would be cool to do exploding dry ice bottles. So it would be measuring the correlation between the amount of dry ice and the time it takes a bottle to pop, to Uh, explode into many little bits of plastic. Explosive physics problems. And, you know, those are really the best, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Well, so... Right, yeah, and then somebody's window gets broken. 
Well, <laughs> three years ago, this, we did this, and it was, you know, in winter, it was there was a, tons of snow, and, you know, it was nice. Is a you know a thirty five degree day and it was good you know good good enough good amount of snow so we could throw bombs into the snow and you know there would be big puffs of snow in the backyard so that was pretty fun yeah and um, we even took an old wicker chair that we were going to throw out anyway in the spring uh, we put bombs all around it and watched it be destroyed so we we've been known to do this for fun. So last year we uh, did the same thing again, and we 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 weren't uh, hindered by needing it to be scientific in any way. So we we could do a lots of dry ice or a little dry ice or tons of water, hot water, and all sorts of fun stuff. What we also tried last year was a big uh, what do you call it? Uh, a two liter bottle of Sprite. Oh, actually no, it was Di- Diet Mountain Dew. Oh yeah. Yeah, I got rid of that as fast as I could. That stuff is disgusting. <laughs> well. Uh, unfortunately, we didn't put enough water in it, so the dry ice froze the water, and it didn't explode. But that's okay because it was in the park, and I didn't uh, want I didn't want exploding things in the park. Well, this year I am no longer in charge, and I won't be arrested because I am not involved. So I think our uh, my my other co-host uh, Matthew is. Uh, going to be in charge for this, and he's going to be making dry ice cannons. Sounds like fun. It sounds like lots of fun, and I, I'm not sure exactly where he's going to do it. I'm thinking he's going to do it in the park, and hopefully um, everybody survives. Yeah. Yeah. I hope so. I'm yeah. going to be there. I hope I survive. Right, right. I, I hope you do, too, because you're bringing all the viewers. Um, so, yeah, it's going to be a fun Saturday. Yeah, sounds like it. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll of course report back on all the damage. And if you don't hear right. from us, obviously, then there was too much damage. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Look in, yeah. Mm. Look in the paper. Look in the paper, that's right. The M and Daily, they all have it. Two local students destroy themselves with dry ice over the weekend. <laughs> I can see the headlines now. Hmm. So where can we, uh, find you on the internet, Sam? Well, you can, uh, Find me on Twitter, Sam Eberts, um, or here every week on the universe. On some and day of the week, not on any given day, just some day. Right. No, we no, we we don't have plans. But it's supposed to be Saturday once a week. Well, yeah, Saturday. Except there was some sort of like time dilation issue, and oh, I know, I know how I know how that is. <laughs> um. So yeah. Yep. Look for me back here. Sounds good. And, of course, you can find me, Ryan Rappersett, all over the place on Twitter at RyanMR, here at the Nexus on my blog. You can just Google life, and you'll probably not find me. But if you Google Ryan Rappersett, you're, you're sure to find me and all of the other wonderful things I might be doing at the time. And this is The Universe, the show where Sam Ebert and I talk about science, the galaxy, candy bars, uh... And other fun things like exploding dry ice and moon bases. Oh, and and the best of all, jetpacks versus cell phones. Oh yeah, that yeah, was a good one. That's right. Anyway, have a good one. Yeah. <laughs>